my privilege to introduce Dr. John Andrews. I met him in the last week. We had the privilege of him coming on Tuesday and coming to visit us in Joburg. And um, he, did, he did a few sessions for us, um, a devotional and a, and a leadership development session, um, two actually leadership development sessions, which were just absolutely outstanding. Uh, I, I just so loved it. And um, uh, John um, was born into a Christian family, a very committed Christian family. And, and you can see that. You can just see the, the godliness of a couple of generations just oozing out of him when you spend some time with him. And, and he says he remembers making a, a conscious um, commitment to Jesus at the age of eight. He says he was sitting in a meeting and he just got a revelation from the Holy Spirit that Jesus is the Son of God. And after the meeting, it wasn't, I don't think there was even an altar call. He just walked up to, to the youth worker and said, I want to give my life to Jesus. Because he just, he says he, he just realized that Jesus wanted to be the boss of his life. <laughs> and he wanted that too. And he preached his first sermon apparently at the age of 14. And uh, he went to study at Mattersy Hall. And he's, he was there as a student and, and he's been very involved there as a lecturer. In fact, um, was the principal of Mattersy for a while. Um, and so he's, he's been in, in vocational ministry for the, for the best part of 30 years, ministered in over 30 countries. And what I really appreciate about John is that he brings together the best of the theologian and the best of the pastor. Um, you know, sometimes we as Christians think that you have to choose between having a, a full head and a full heart. You know, we think that you must either have a full head and an empty heart or a full heart and an empty head. And, and, and not only what John teaches, but what, what he lives sort of rejects that dichotomy and that lie. He has a full head and a full heart. And um, I, I've really so enjoyed receiving from John and learning from John. John, thank you for coming to bless us um, all the way from Gloucester in England. Let's put our hands together for John. Father God, we just want to thank you, Lord, for your servant that you sent to us, Lord, and we look forward to hearing what you have to say to us, Lord Holy Spirit, through him, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, it is absolutely wonderful to be here and uh, an absolute joy. Can I just say a huge thank you to the leadership team for inviting me, uh, for trusting me and uh, for uh, allowing me to come and be part of you. I've had a great time with uh, Pastor Henny up in Johannesburg uh, this week and just been enjoying so much this conference so far. Last night was amazing. And I was uh, personally very touched and moved by that. And it is an absolutely incredible honor to be part of this uh, conference and hopefully we can, we can grow a little bit together. Uh, some important facts about me that you weren't told in the introduction, which was a marvelous introduction, by the way. Thank you. I'm feeling the pressure uh, right now, um, is that uh, I'm married to Dawn. We have been married 29 years. Uh, we met in Bible college, went, went to Bible college for an education, left with a wife, come on. And uh, never a bad thing. And, uh, and so we've been married together for 29 years. She's an amazing woman. Uh, I definitely, really genuinely, no preachers say this stuff, but I really have married up. She really is an incredible person makes me look much better than I am. So um, she's wonderful. I've had three, uh, three children, uh, we've three children together. Elena is 24, she's a children's pastor. She's married to Dan. 
And then Simeon, he's 20, uh, works in the hospitality industry, great drummer. I, I love listening to the drummers because of Simbo. He's really put me into the drums, you know. So, although I loved, I loved the, is that a French horn? Come on, the French, where's the French horn, man? Come on. Boom. It's fantastic. Wow. That was so cool. It's, it's hard to make a French horn look cool, but you made it look cool, man. Well done. Um, it's fantastic. And then my youngest is Beth Ann. She's 16, going on 33 at the last count. And she's brilliant. I love Beth Ann. She's feisty and edgy. She's a number three like me. So, you know, number threes, we are a bit out there. So, um, so, uh, so she's fantastic. And she's at college at the moment. And then I must mention two other important members of our family are sausage dogs. So we're, we're, big, we're big Daxhound fans. Any Daxhound fans in the house? Come on. Feeling the love. Come on now. Um, and we've got two gorgeous Daxhounds. The boy Daxhound is called Pepperoni. And the girl Daxhound is called Salami. It's true. It's true. And they had baby sausages last year. And um, we gave one of our baby sausages to our oldest daughter, and she called it Frankfurter. So... So it's Frankie for short. That's the sort of Christian version. Um, it's a bit embarrassing. We live, we live backing onto a wood and uh, Salami loves chasing squirrels and she, she got out the other day and got lost, completely and absolutely lost. It's quite a large wood. So it's quite worrying when you've got a little Salami out there. Um, but the most embarrassing thing was, can you imagine two adults in the wood? Salami. So it's just... Where do you go with that, folks? There's really nothing really much to say. Uh, and that's, that really should sum up why you shouldn't have invited me here today. So, uh, so, so that's, that's it. That's our family. That's who we are. And uh, it is a, an absolute joy to be with you. So, hey, I, I'm going to be sharing, as it says on the screen, uh, where is the love? And I've been given the theme of sort of family and generations. No pressure, uh, but family and generations. So if you've got a Bible with you, I'm going to read for a couple of moments from Psalm 78. Psalm 78. It'll come up on the screen, I think, for you as well. Marvelous. Marvelous. It says this, verse 1, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings or riddles from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord that his, and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them. The children, we've heard this already this morning, yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Picture on your screen coming up now is hopefully... Uh, if it comes up, is of my family. There we are. Um, we went on a very special trip this year uh, to Paris and uh, living quite close to Paris. We, we have the, the joy of being able to explore those areas and we had an amazing time. So to give you a little bit of context to my world, uh, looking from where you're sitting, on the right-hand side is my very handsome 
son-in-law. And uh, that's Dan, and uh, Dan's wonderful. Then we've got Elena, uh, sort of beside her husband, Dan. Simeon, my son, in the middle. Bethan, Dawn, and me. And of course, that's the Eiffel Tower. It did not disappoint. It was marvelous. We had an amazing time there. Now, I only put that on the screen because I want you to get a little bit of context for my world when I talk about loving the generations. I also have a mother, uh, so I'll not put her picture up because she would be upset if I did that, but I have a mother. I also have a dad, but my dad's in heaven, so he's probably more alive today than he's ever been, but he's just not around uh, at the moment. So I had a wonderful mother, wonderful father, but my mum's still alive, 81 years of age, spoke to her yesterday from my veranda, having breakfast, looking over the vineyard. <laughs> Said to my mother, mother, you never guessed where I am right now. And so uh, she was having a, a wonderful time talking to me. I also have a father-in-law, he's 77, and a mother-in-law who is, who is, who is still alive. Uh, who is, sorry. Did, did I say that out loud? Okay. Um, who is 81 years of age. Now, my mother-in-law is from Wales. Come on, any, any Welsh background people, you will know that the Welsh flag is a, sort of a white bar at the top, a green bar at the bottom, and a big red dragon on it. There's absolutely no correlation between the two things, I need to say that. But just, just in case you were putting that together, I just need, uh, of course, you know the definition of mixed feelings, don't you? It's watching your mother-in-law drive off the cliff in your brand new Mercedes. That's the, that's the definition of mixed feelings. Now, um, is this being recorded? I've always wanted to live in South Africa. So, it's marvelous. Now, uh, I only say that to say this. Some of the things I will say contextually, I'll talk about my family. So I haven't put them up there because I want to sort of brag on them. It's just so that you know some stuff I'll say will be in that context. So the, we'll, we'll say some theological things and then some experiential things, and that's my context, okay? But I also recognize there's lots of people in this room. You don't have the context I have. You have a different context. You, you have a different looking world. Maybe some of you are single, or some of you are married without children, or you're married with grandchildren, or you've been married and now for one reason or another, you're not married, or, or, or you're living in a, in, a, in a different sort of a, a context. So whatever your context is, sometimes the danger with a talk like this is I can exclude you and I don't want to. So what I'm trying to do today is talk about stuff that I think can help fit into whatever family world you live in. So whatever your world looks in, some of the principles we're gonna look at today, I hope will help every single one of us. And if you're not in the sort of family I'm in, don't switch off, don't switch off. I can't see if you've switched off anyway because you're in the dark, but try not to uh, if you can because I think there's something for everybody. Because whoever you are, uh, we're all part of some form of community. And also, we are part of a generational understanding, which we've heard already today, which is a very strong Bible worldview. God is a multi-generational God. And that's a very, very strong biblical worldview. So uh, the question I want to ask and try and answer this morning for a few moments is, what does love look like in a family? 
When I was given this, this subject, I, I found it quite terrifying because there are days when I feel like super dad and then there are other days when I can't spell dad. All right, it's, I, I feel like I'm lost in space. I, I just don't know what to do. I, I, I would rather stand up in front of a group of people like you all day long than sort of try and be a parent. I find parenting really difficult, really challenging. Now, now you know, we're, we're, we're making some progress, but I find it incredibly difficult. So I'm just putting that out there. I'm certainly not a super dad. I've made more mistakes, mistakes than I uh, care to remember. Uh, and, and actually, by God's grace, we're sort of surviving some of this stuff as well as learning as we go. Uh, is that okay? Uh, do, don't mind me saying that. So, so a couple of things that I want to say that I think are important. Four things I want to try and draw your attention to. When, when we ask the question, what does love look like at home? Here's the first thing I think is important. Number one, identity. Identity. Now, what do I mean by that? What does love look like at home? Well, I think one of the things that love looks like at home is that we are committed to the emergence of the authentic identity of the people in our community. That's love. Okay? So how, how would I define that for you? Well, I, identity is this. From who I would like you to be to who you actually are. Now, that's a tough one. In a Christian community like this, we would like to believe that we're cool with that. But actually, an understanding of maybe the worst forms of religion, and in some cases, the most oppressive forms of society say, we don't like you being who you are. We would prefer you to be a sort of a slightly different version to me. And the more like me you are, then the better that is. Do you know, I've discovered this, that the worst forms of religion and some of the most oppressive forms of society work really, really hard to make everybody the same. And God has worked really, really hard to make everybody different. Now, one of those two things is right. And one of those. So, so actually, I, I'm going to go with a ladder. I, I actually believe the fact that there is phenomenal diversity in the church is part of God's plan. And it's an amazing thing that every, every click of my fingers is a second. Every second, three babies are being born in the world. I mean, that's pretty amazing. They're just popping out all over the world <laughs> as I'm clicking my fingers. The women in the room go, yeah, pop out all you want, man. Um, <laughs> just keep popping out. I'm feeling the love. Or uh, just popping out as we go. But what's even more amazing is that every single one of those babies that have popped out in the second that I click my fingers are all unique. There's no two the same. I am the only John Andrews that will ever, ever exist. My mother-in-law's really pleased about that, actually. Okay. <laughs> so... <clears throat> When, when God spoke to Moses in that incredible encounter, here's what he said to him. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, I want you to see the emphasis. There are two incredible ideas collide there. Number one, he is the God of the generations. He's not just one generational God. I like, I like Abraham's generation not so cool on Isaac's. No, no, he's the God of the generations. And in fact, if you include Moses' father in that statement, it's, it's actually multi-generational. But I want you to notice that he names the generations. It's not even just a generic idea. I'm the God of the generations, which feels very gen general. He says, I'm the God of Abraham. 
Isaac and Jacob. And if you do any sort of study in the Torah on those three guys, you will know they are profoundly different. It's not like Isaac is Abraham plus. <laughs> Isaac is as different from Abraham as Jacob is as different from Isaac. Their journeys are incredibly different and diverse, and yet he becomes the God of each of them. He's not just the God of Abraham because he liked Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob. He comes into the world of the individual as well as into the generations. What an amazing Lord and God we serve that he has love for the community and absolute commitment to the individual. It's a fantastic Bible idea that we can have individual celebration and community celebration all at the same time. God is into both. In fact, he rarely celebrates the individual outside of that community. I have three children, all born from the same gene pool, and you wouldn't believe it around a dinner table. Are you adopted? Who brought you here? It's, we are all incredibly different. It's unbelievable. My mother's four foot 11. I'm six foot one. I was six foot one at about three. Do you know what I mean? I was, I was born tall. And, and so, you know, how did that happen? We are all incredibly different, and it's a powerful idea. My, my wife loves jigsaws, and uh, I think we've got an, a little image of a jigsaw coming up. And my, my wife loves, absolutely loves jigsaws, and I hate them. And that's sort of part of the problem that we have um, in our marriage. She, she has the patience of a saint, and I really don't in some of those areas. But I thought, I'll try and be a good husband, and I will um, buy a jigsaw, and we'll do husband-wife stuff together you know that doesn't involve sex so we'll, we'll do husband and wife stuff together and uh, and so and so I I said I, I went out and I bought a thousand piece jigsaw what was, John were you on drugs when you did that what what were you thinking about I, I was thinking love um So I went out, true story, bought a thousand piece jigsaw and I said, darling, let's do this jigsaw together. Now I'm thinking we can get this jigsaw done in a night. <laughs> let's do this, come on. And so we open it up and Dawn says to me, right, take all the edges and put them in a pile. There were lots of blues, take all the blues, put them in a pile, lots, uh, sort all the colors. I'm going, hold it a minute, are, are we going to do this jigsaw? She says, yes, we are doing the jigsaw. But when are we going to put pieces together? Well, let's just get the piles organized first. We spent the night organizing piles. <laughs> Thinking, why did I buy this? Well, this is crackers. So the very nice next night, where now my wife's the sort of person, does a little bit, leaves it, does a little bit, leaves it, you know, does a million things over here and then comes back and puts another piece in the jigsaw. She's amazing like that. Uh, and so after about three nights, we're doing this, and I haven't put many pieces in because I'm rubbish at jigsaws. So I find a piece, and the man in me says, this piece is gonna fit. It's going in, no matter what. And so 20 minutes later, not exaggerating, I'm not making this up, I could not find this thing to fit. And so I just lost, I lost my way. And I just started jamming it in, right? And my wife said to me, whoa, John, what are you doing? I said, darling, I just, I'm just trying to help you do this jigsaw. She said, you're not helping. I said, but I want to make this fit. But she said, it doesn't fit. Leave it alone. And then she said to me, and she's just a beautiful woman, she said, tell you what to do. Put the jigsaw down, go and watch football. Leave me alone. Um, and actually what I was trying to do was make something fit. 
that wasn't designed to fit. Can I just say this, and I want everyone to hear this carefully, squeezing those we love into the wrong shape for their lives is not love. I'm sorry. One of my toughest challenges as a dad is trying to not make my kids in my image. The other challenge is making sure I don't compare their images to each other. And you know, I like Elena's image and I'm not so cool with Beth Ann's image and Simeon, you know, and then we end up comparing. It's a terrible thing. You know, my mother's 81. I've got to respect her image. She's not a young woman anymore. I've got to listen to her and understand who she is and where she is and not try and force my view onto her. It's very, very challenging. Do you know what love looks like in the generations? We are prepared to try and allow people to discover their true shape in Christ. It's a great expression of love. To allow, now we're not talking about the development of your character. Your character is a different issue. We're talking here about your fundamental personhood. The God-shaped personhood. Actually, God's cool with that, and so should we. Yes? Parents, just, just make sure you're helping your kids be the best they're designed to be and not the best you want them to be. It's a, it's a tricky little subtle pressure. I get it. I've got three kids. Don't, don't shout at me afterwards. I get it. I know the pressure. But watch that really carefully. Pastors, listen. There's going to be people not like you in our churches. If we're going to build great churches that are going to reach the world, we need a celebration of true, authentic diversity. And if we can do that, I think we can speak to our world. Does that make sense? Identity speaks of love. Secondly, instruction speaks of love. Instruction is part of the love within the generations and the love within the families. And what do I mean by instruction? Well, let me say this. We're moving from the words I want you to hear to the actions I want you to watch. From the words I want you to hear to the actions I want you to watch. You know, it's amazing when your children are younger, you can sort of tell them stuff. Because I'm big and you're small. I'm the boss and you're not. I have the power and you don't. And so you can sort of tell children when they're small. But as they get older, we move into a phase of negotiation. New experience for an Ulster Celt negotiating with a child. And actually, that, that's a difficult one in that context. So, so I move from telling them to do something to perhaps the pressure of showing them something. Bible says this, it's a beautiful expression. Whoever keeps company with the wise becomes wise. The emphasis there is not just on wisdom, but the company. The idea here is connecting to wisdom. Sowing yourself into the lifestyle of wisdom. So it's not just a, an instructional wisdom that you hear in a classroom. It is a lived wisdom. A wisdom that we're living out together through the experience of our lives together. And that's so, so important for us. I'm, I'm terrible at DIY. Do it yourself. I, I, I'm really awful. And part of that was my dad wasn't very good at it and he didn't teach me. My wife's wonderful at it. Because her dad was good at it. And she, what she can do with a power tool is just amazing. 
Is it wrong to say I feel slightly aroused when she uses a, a power tool? Um, it's marvelous. And, um, and, and she's, she's absolutely amazing. But I'm pretty rubbish at it. Yes? Sorry, I said the wrong thing there, right? I'm sorry. It's too early. Is that too early? Okay. And I, I, I spent the day yesterday with Ross, Pastor Ross. Uh, Indeed, indeed, good man. And uh, he took me up Table Mountain yesterday. Now he said to me, he said, he said, we're going to walk up Table Mountain, which was amazing. And I'm thinking, path. <laughs> Tourist path gentle. He's thinking Bear Grylls, right? He's, he's thinking, Ooh. I mean, the man, the, Ross has calves. Seriously. Calves the size of a continent. <laughs> he fills a shirt. Ooh. It's a good job I'm a very secure man. <laughs> wow. What made it worse? I went back to his home yesterday and I'm shown a house he built for his children. A playhouse that a whole village could live in. It was, it was marvelous. And I'm looking at him thinking, is there no end to this man's talents? He's good looking. He has calves. He fills his shirt and he can build houses for his children. Pastor Ross, I hate you so much. Please don't visit my home in England ever. One of my best friends, John Benny, he's fantastic at DIY. And we moved house recently. And you know, he's one of those guys, he, he knows I'm really rubbish at it. So he comes alongside me and he says, John, here's what I'm doing, here's how I'm doing it, and here's how you could learn to do it. And in and out of a coma, I learned some stuff with John Benny, you know? I, 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 and what he's really good at, John, John doesn't make you feel stupid. He helps you make that instruction. And it was really wonderful. And, and actually, I learned something through that, and, and it's this. We cannot instruct what we do not model. Kids are funny like that, aren't they? People are funny like that. Do you know, I've discovered this. People don't just hear what I say. They catch what I am. And we cannot talk our way out of things we've behaved ourselves into. That's the problem with family. You just can't get away with it. You don't get away with it in the pulpit. We can dance and jive and move and jig and blind people with science and distract them from the reality of our brokenness. Can't do that at home. That's why we all need to be in a home somewhere. Because actually, actually, that's, that's the world that keeps us rooted together. Does that make sense? Here's the third thing really quickly I want you to see. Um, we have intimacy is the third thing. So what does love look like in the family, in the context of, of our world? I think it looks like identity. I think it looks like instruction. Thirdly, I think it looks like intimacy. What do I mean by intimacy? From what I want to what you need. I love what Proverbs says. I read Proverbs every day as part of my reading cycle in the Bible. So I rotate the Proverbs. It's in Proverbs 30 today. And uh, you have this gorgeous expression right at the beginning of Proverbs. Listen, my son. And in fact, 
27 times in the book of Proverbs, you have the phrase, either listen, my son, or listen, my son, Shema Beni. Uh, we heard a little bit about Shema last night, the idea of listening. But, but the Jewish idea behind this word, it's multiple layers of interpretation. It's a difficult word to interpret sometimes. But one of the strong nuances of Shema is the idea of you've heard something when you do something. Right? So what's the proof I've heard that God is one? and that I should love him with all my heart. Well, I place him at the center of everything and I love him with my whole life. I put everything at his disposal. That's the proof I've heard what he wants. If I don't put him at the center, I haven't heard anything. Okay, just heard words. So this gorgeous idea of listen, when he says to his sons, it's not just instructional listening, it's the idea he wants them to listen and then actually do something about that. I'm reading a fascinating book at the moment by a lady called Sherry Turkle. She's a professor of MIT and she's written a book called Reclaiming Conversation, The Power of Talk in a Digital World. And of course, we're 15, 20 years into the smartphone generation. Smartphone has literally changed our world. My 16-year-old, you take her phone off her and her thumb just keeps working. <laughs> what is that? Yeah? It's an amazing thing. She's digitally immersed. And in order to communicate with her, I have to do that. And Sherry Tuchel's book is really outstanding in terms of some of the, the, the terrible challenges we're now experiencing because we've moved away from intimacy uh, physically, face-to-face. -face. We're losing the power of empathy and we're doing lots of our communication through the digital world. Uh, Sherry Tuchel would love this little bit of wisdom from the minions I found recently. And uh, it says this, uh, I don't know if that's fully coming up on your screen. Let me read it for you. Wi-Fi went down for five minutes, so I had to talk to my family. They seem like nice people. <laughs> you know, we used to go to coffee shops for coffee. Now our first question is, how's your Wi-Fi? What's that got to do with coffee? Absolutely nothing. Yes? Okay, and, and that's the world you and I have moved into. My 16-year-old's amazing. Beth Ann's a stunning girl. She really is. I love her. We have great fun together. We become great friends. Can it really be, a, a, she, she knows what I'm about to say. Everything I say about my family, I have permission. Me and her didn't get on so well when she was younger. That's the truth. We sparked off against each other too much. Uh, and, and I found myself, can I really be vulnerable? And she knows this. We've walked this journey. I didn't like her very much. I'm not, that's not a joke. I'm being vulnerable with you, being honest. I didn't like her very much. Now, I loved her. I'd die for her. I'd kill for her if I had to. I just didn't like her very much. Is that okay to say that? All right. I'm just being honest. And I had to work through that. I really had to work hard at stuff. Now, as she's got older and I've learned more about her and become more emotionally intelligent around her, um, we've become better friends. And she's, she's great fun. Now, she's an amazing girl, a brain the size of a continent. She's intelligent, she's feisty, she's funny, and she's the most untidy human being I've ever met. <laughs> Add to that equation the fact that I am OCD, tidy. I mean, when I leave hotel rooms, when I check out, I leave the hotel room tidy. I make the bed. 
even though I know someone's gonna come in and take the bed linen off and, and do stuff. That's how weird I am. So, so my, my world's paperless, it's neat, it's tidy, it's straight lines. Love straight lines, love them. <laughs> in fact, hold on a minute. Marvelous. That's it now. So I think she's doing it deliberately. I think she's deliberately just trying to wind me up. So, so in order to try and teach her how to tidy her room, I'm saying, right, come on, you gotta do this. And she just will not respond to anything we're doing. So, okay, I'll have your phone. And the iPhone is like surgically attached to my daughter's arm, right? It's like, it's like she's evolved, this thing. And so it's surgically attached. And so, so you say iPhone mine now in any combination, and she has a Damascus Road experience. <laughs> Jesus, I believe, I surrender. She's upstairs faster than you can say, Apple operating system, and she's in her room, and she's got it tidy. She's back down, Dad, you wanna check my room? The room's tidy, so I go up, check it, sort it out. She says, can I have my phone? You hand back the phone. Now, who knows, who knows, she hasn't heard anything. Who knows I haven't taught her anything? We're playing a game. She's not changing, she's conforming. Two different things, right? She's conforming to the superpower that is dad. <laughs> With iPhone. I have, I have threatened to turn the internet off in our home. You wouldn't believe how you could go from, Dad, we love you, to we hate you, Dad. We, we, we want you to move out of the house. Go to South Africa. Go to South Africa. Now, in the book of Proverbs... And in the context of generations, here's the, thing, here's the thought I want you to get as I, as I draw this bit to a close. Listening, that's the hearing listening, is in the context of intimacy. My worst conversations with my children have been at them. We've had some terrible moments, you know, where just the Ulster Celt inside me just will not budge. And then they've got lots of Celtic blood inside them too. So we just, it just becomes mission impossible. And actually, I found my biggest mistakes as a dad trying to, to help my children, help my world, my wife, and, and even my mother-in-law has been when I have spoke to them, when my emotional awareness and intelligence has been so low because I've wanted to get my point across, what I want rather than what they need. That's, so, so I've had to learn, I've had to learn to move away from what I want to what they need. And my most successful conversations with my children in my world have been when we have talked with each other, not to each other. My oldest daughter loved going to breakfast with me. It was one of our things. So we would go once a month to breakfast and it was like our time. And so I would, from she was 12 years old, took her out, and it became a, a little bit of a friendship time, a discipleship time. And she, even though we lived in the same house, she would save up all her conversation for that breakfast. It was like, 
just eating while she talked, you know, no. Um, but, but it was an amazing time of intimacy. And here's what I discovered. I was able to say tougher things in an intimate contact, uh, context than I could have said as dad. Are you, are you with me? Here's the last thing I want you to see, and hopefully it'll help you. What does love look like in the family and the generations? Well, it looks like investment. If we really love each other, we're committed to investment. And the problem with investment is you put a lot in at the front end, and then you have to sort of wait a while for the payoff. You know, I'm pumping a lot of money into my private pension. You know, and, and I, I, I could afford that fancy car I've always wanted, but, but actually, if I take the fancy car I've always wanted, then I'm gonna live on toast and cheese for the rest of my life. When I retire, I'll not have any money. So I've gotta make a short-term sacrifice for a long-term game, and that's the problem. All that money's going out of my account every month, and it's like disappearing. But hopefully, it's not disappearing, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that it's gonna harvest at some point and produce my pension plan. By investment, what do we mean? From getting through today to thinking about tomorrow. That's a big shift, that's a love shift. And what love, when it's truly expressed in the generations, causes us to do is move from just thinking about today. Now today's important, we've gotta to do today well, but actually we realize today's a heartbeat. But there's a tomorrow coming, and if Jesus doesn't come back, or two world leaders with funny haircuts don't press red buttons, then actually we've, we've something going on there, right? We, we've, all, we've all got stuff that we can, we, can, we can do together. Sorry, have I said something wrong? Did I, should I not have mentioned that? Okay. Picture on your screen is one of my favorite pictures in my whole world. Um, this is, this is uh, my gorgeous oldest daughter, Elena. And... Uh, this is us walking down the aisle. So this is two years ago, last summer. And our photographer, you know, first time I met our photographer, I thought, can you do this? Do you know when you meet someone and you go, do you know how to work a camera? <laughs> do you know what I'm thinking? Ooh, he looked a bit edgy, a bit wild. And uh, he was brilliant. I mean, the boy rocked. He was amazing. He took this picture. It's just, it's a stunning picture. I have it framed. It says so much. Uh, hopeful and sad all at the same time. And you look at the detail, uh, she's, she's holding my arm, but she's looking at him. <laughs> Hate you, Dan. Hate you. Okay, so, so she's looking at him, but, but look where I'm, I, I'm looking away. I can't look at him. He's lovely, really. Honestly, he's a great husband. I love him. He's a fantastic lad. But, but that's a moment. Now, when we were walking down that aisle, I want to tell you, I was overwhelmed with emotion. You know, I've done dozens of weddings, and I would say to dads, don't worry about it when the music starts. Just walk down the aisle. Take your time. It's cool. It's a great time. And, and, and now I have new empathy for dads walking their daughters down the aisle. I was like, don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. Hold it together, man. You're an Ulster Celt, don't cry. <laughs> and as we're walking down the aisle, everybody's going, oh, she's gorgeous, she's beautiful. Oh, it's, it's all going on. 
And that's an amazing picture, and we had an amazing day. That picture was 22 years, three months, 16 days in the making. That picture didn't just happen. Everyone looked at her on that day, white dress, sparkling, shining, glowing. But they didn't see what we went through. <laughs> 22 years, three months, 16 days. There you are, Dan, you can have her, lad. Take her, take her now. <laughs> Who gives this woman to be married to this man? Me! Come on, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I love her, she's fab. Bible says this, a good person leaves an inheritance for his grandchildren. The NIV says for his children's children. My goodness, imagine what your world would look like or would have looked like had your grandfather or grandmother thought of you. Maybe they did and maybe your world looks the way it is because of them. But there are many, many people and their world is impoverished today because grandfathers, great-grandfathers, great-grandmothers didn't think about tomorrow. They only thought about now, the next drink, the next fix, the next deal, the next, the next. They didn't think 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And, and being a follower of Jesus is forcing me all the time to think beyond today. I love today, I'm enjoying today. I'll suck every moment out of today. This is amazing for me to get to do this today. But actually, there's a tomorrow coming and we've gotta be ready for it. This picture coming up on the screen uh, for you. Don and I went to Barcelona uh, for our uh, wedding anniversary in the summer, 29 years married. The woman deserves a round the world trip, but I can only afford Barcelona. So we went to Barcelona and we visited the Basilica de la Sagrada Familia. Uh, commonly known as the Sagrada. It's a, an amazing building. Now, depending how you like architecture, you're either gonna fall in love with that or think that's the most monstrous thing ever made in the world. And it is pretty unusual. It's pretty edgy and divisive. Uh, and there it is. Uh, and they started building this in 1882. And they're gonna finish building it in 2026, which will be the 100th anniversary of Antoni Gaudi the architectural brain behind that, who was killed in 1926 in an accident. And they're hoping to finish this thing by 2026. That's 144 years for a building. Weird thing is, the Pope blessed that building. Weirder still, no church services are currently being held in it. It's just used commercially at the moment, 144 years. That meant that the very first person who put the very first brick in the ground knew, we'll not see this finished, but we'll build it anyway. We said earlier on for the offering, the offering's not about just this conference, the offering is about a generation not yet born. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, is love in the context of the generations. When you and I, aren't just concerned with what's right in front of us, and we should be, we should be, but we are also concerned about what is yet to be. That, ladies and gentlemen, is, is love. Now let me close with this idea really, really quickly to help you. 
When it comes to family, of course, there's a graph coming up on your screen. When it comes to family, we can have our plans, but it rarely works out the way we want it. Can you put the next picture up for me? Is that there or not? There we are. Great. Sorry. sorry. There we go. So, so the graph on the left, keep, just keep me on my toes. Um, the graph on the left is what I planned, and the graph on the right is what actually happened. So the stuff I'm talking about today all sounds amazing and very idealistic, but actually it's hard work. It's never a straight line. It's messy. It's difficult. In those journeys with our family, there will be tears, brokenness, sorrow, death, sickness. Even, even for Pentecostals like us, that stuff will happen. And, and when that stuff happens, that's when our values are truly tested. That's when what we claim to be as love is really tested. Do we, do we really, are we really committed to identity? Are we really committed to instruction? Are we really committed to intimacy? Are we really committed to investment? And I want to say this, don't let disappointed become disappointment on your journey. Some of you, you're looking at me and think, oh, you've got it all together. Well, not so. Or, or you look at other people and think, well, if only my family was like theirs. Listen, all of us experience moments where we are disappointed on this journey. A wife is disappointed in a husband. Fathers are disappointed in children. Children think their parents are crazy. We don't know what to do with our in-laws or our parents. We, we're not sure how to, how to manage the next generation after. It's all going on. It's messy and it's difficult. But don't allow a disappointed to become disappointment. You see, disappointed is an event. Disappointment becomes an experience. Disappointed is a crisis, but disappointment becomes a circumstance. Something that defines us. I'm, I'm a Liverpool supporter. I had to get it in somewhere. I'm a Liverpool. Come out, you foul spirit in Jesus' name. Jesus is a Liverpool supporter. It has to be. The, the anthem of Liverpool is you'll never walk alone. That's straight out of the Bible, people. There, there are probably some nasty Man United supporters in the audience. Yeah. The Red Devils. Who's Jesus going to support? Red Devils. You'll never walk alone. Come on, people, it's a no-brainer. And I, I went to watch Liverpool play Man City recently. It was a bad day. We lost 5-0. And at 3-0 down, I said to the guys I was with, if we lose another goal, I'm, I'm going home. I've never walked out of a game, so you know, it must be just, I'm getting old. And so we went 4-0 down, I just walked out, just couldn't take it anymore. Now, now, now disappointed was we lost 5-0. Disappointment would be, I'm never going to support Liverpool again. Families like that. You'll have more disappointed days than you can count. Church communities like that. We're searching for this utopic, perfect place. Listen, stop. You're going to kill yourself in the process. Relax. It doesn't exist. 
Well, it doesn't exist in England. Maybe it exists in Cape Town. and uh, It doesn't exist in England. Let, let me show you one more picture, and then I am finished. And, uh, can the band, do you want to come and join me? Is that okay? So my time's up, but let me show you this one more picture, because it's an important finish. This is, this is us in Paris. And uh, the young man here with a beard sitting beside me with the Banksy tattoo is my gorgeous son, Simeon, 20. Um, vivacious, wonderful, talented young man. Funny, funny, funny boy. Almost, you know, he can watch something and repeat it back. Incredible mind. Great musician. Wonderful drummer. And he would love this sort of thing. In May 2015, we got a, we got a call to say that our son had been arrested. And... Uh, he had been accused of a very serious crime. Now, there was no evidence against him. It was an accusation that was made. From the very moment he said, uh, this accusation was put on the table, he said, Dad, I didn't do it. I'm absolutely innocent. This is just made up. And so uh, our friends and, and legal advice that we took said, don't worry about it. This will go away. There's no evidence. This is just weird. And it didn't go away. 18 months later, we found ourselves in Crown Court. And had my son been found guilty of the accusation that was leveled at him without a single shred of evidence, and I'm not making this up, right? No evidence at all. My son would have gone to jail for seven years. How did that happen? How do, how do we get here? We've spent our whole life doing identity and instruction intimacy, investment. How did this happen? We love Jesus. Jesus loves me. I speak in tongues every day. What's going on? The darkest period of that journey was my son spiraled into terrible depression. Never seen anything like it to see this vivacious boy disappear. Some of you have experienced depression and family members. It is like they disappear. It's really, really terrible in its worst forms. And to to disguise the pain of his heart, he started cutting his flesh. He started to self-harm. Now, that took me to the dark side of the moon. I've never, ever, ever, I mean, as a pastor, I've helped families, other families, but this was now us. And to come home and find your son in a pool of his own blood is, is just a bit scary. And we went to court, he was found innocent. In fact, we spent four days in court and the jury spent less than 40 minutes deliberating, came back and said, no case to answer, threw it out, right? But 18 months of our life had been sucked into this black hole. My son's scars, he tended to cut this, this forearm here. I, and can I really be vulnerable with you? I couldn't look at it. I couldn't look at it. I, look, I could look at his face, I could not look at his arm. His mother, during this period was a superhero. What an amazing woman. She held us together on this issue and I couldn't look at his arm because of the cuts, because every cut had cut my heart. I couldn't do it. Thank God he's making a fantastic recovery. He's learning to live free. He's coming out of the valley and I've written a book about our experience, Beyond Broken. He's coming out of that valley and he's doing amazing. And a few months ago, he said to me, Dad, because he loves body art, and I know you may, may not like body art, but he, he loves body art. He said, Dad, 
Dad, uh, I want to get a new tattoo. I said, what is it? He said, it's a half face of a lion. I said, where do you want to get it? He said, I want to get it on my forearm where my cuts are. Okay, have we got that picture? So this is my son's tattoo. Now, it's in black and white. If it was in color, you would see the scars more. And, and, and I was so touched. I said, son, why do you want to get the half face of the lion on your arm? He said, because I want a new story to be told. I want people to see the lion over the scars. And I went, not only will I take you to get the tattoo, I will pay for it. So I took him to the tattoo parlor or the body art parlor. And he had this done. And now I can look at this. I can see it. This redemptive moment. Now, why am I putting that on the screen? Because in moments like this, in a conference like this, it's very easy to sound very idealistic. But actually, what does love look like? Well, it looks like identity. That's never easy. It's messy. It's never a straight line. What does it look like? Instruction, it's never a straight line. What does it look like? Intimacy, my goodness, that'll be tested to the very core of your being. What does it look like? Keep investing, even when it looks like it's broken. And there were moments in that journey where I felt like the worst father in the world. I came close, really deep down in my heart to quitting Christian ministry, because I felt I had failed my son. Now he would say to me, you never failed me but it felt, and, and everything we believe was tested. Now, some of you are in the midst of that. You're listening to me and say, ah, oh, it's all right for you. Actually, every family will have this sort of uh, bump in the road, these sorts of challenges, every Christian community. This, this network has come through one of your most challenging periods in your world. And it's easy to look at the disappointed and become disappoint, uh, move into disappointment. But actually what love says, all right, uh, that, was a, that was a disappointing moment. But I refuse to allow it to define the rest of our journey. I refuse to allow it to put us in a box. I refuse to allow it to destroy our future. And actually just as the lion can create a new story over the scars so God can help us in our families, in our communities, and in our church. I believe God is giving Shofar a new moment. And it's not that we ignore the scars of the past, and I know you're not. It's not that we ignore what has happened, but we're now imprinting a new prophetic picture over it. We're not ignoring it. The scars will always be there. They will always be there. It will always be part of your history. But don't don't allow that to define your future. Go to the, forgive my language, the tattoo parlor of heaven and allow the Holy Spirit to put a brand new picture over the scars. So that actually out of our pain and out of our disappointment and out of these moments of tragedy, we are able to say we have a glorious God who loves us and whose redemptive purpose can transform us. Will you stand with me? I'm gonna hand back just a moment to Pastor Henny. We'll close our morning. We're looking forward to another great session with Pastor Ross at half 11. Where is the love? What does love look like? Whatever your family looks like, it looks like a pursuit of identity. It looks like a commitment to instruction. It looks like 
a relentless pursuit of intimacy. And it looks like a willingness to invest in the day beyond today. And if you and I will be prepared collectively as a network so far, and part of a local church, and also as individuals who live in local communities and families, if we are prepared to embrace the power of these ideas, Bible ideas, I believe we give love fingers and toes. We give love hands and feet. We give love shape. We give love opportunity. We give love the vehicle and the means to literally touch our world and make a difference. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We thank you for your relentless commitment to us. We are not alone. We are not abandoned, but we are loved. You have set the orphans into families, and we are so grateful. We thank you for this day in which we live, but we also understand that we are here for a tomorrow that is yet to be, and for a generation that is yet to be born. And Lord, we want to be a community of believers that commit ourselves to the journey of love, a love that is tangible, physical, a love that can be felt, a love that is experienced, a love that is relentless, a love that will not allow the scars of brokenness to define our future. I pray that you will give Shofar a new tattoo, that you will give them a new picture, that you will give them a new voice, that you will give them a new prophetic impulse that will not disguise the scars of yesterday, but will sit as a glorious message bringing redemptive purpose to those scars. For those in this room who've literally been broken, we pray that the power of your spirit will lift us above the disappointed and into a place, oh God, where we know we are loved, we are cherished, and we are blessed. And so Holy Spirit, I pray for this wonderful network of believers, for individual churches that are represented, for families and friends and moms and dads and grannies and grandas and children and grandchildren and brothers and sisters, all represented here. That Lord, we will be men and women who not only know this love, but show this love. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you.